Welcome back, my friends, to the show that never ends. So glad you could attend. Come inside. Come inside. Ray Woodson here. And did I mention that moving sucks? Moving sucks. Especially when you got to move an entire house to another state. It's a, it's a play with seven acts, I think, and we're in Act 5. I definitely know every exit on I-5 now. I probably know every big rig driver on I-5 now. What's up, Hank? Yeah, this is going to go on for uh, another week or so, but the good news is we'll be down there for spring training, and I'm really looking forward to that. And of course, during this time, you have a lot of free time to think while driving, and I've been thinking back uh, about my time in the Bay Area and how special it's been. And I've been thinking back to a couple of moments in particular in the last couple of days. It's the late 90s. I'm just getting a foot in the door in the Bay Area. I moved up to the Bay Area to be closer to my kids at a time I was getting divorced. I had a good job in Bakersfield, by the way. I worked at a family-owned company, Buckley Broadcasting. They had just named me Employee of the Year, but I had to leave six months later. I felt guilty about it, but seeing the kids twice a month was killing me. So the good folks at Buckley got me a job as news anchor at their Monterey station at K-Wave back in the late 90s. At the same time, I got part-time work at a company called Metro Traffic in San Francisco in China Basin Landing, and I kind of knew that eventually I had to be in San Francisco. Uh, Part-time became full-time, and I worked overnights doing news and traffic on KGO Radio uh, during the late Ray Talia Farrow show. I brown-bagged it most of the time, but once in a while, I I needed a coffee boost around 3 a.m., and I would not drink the coffee there at Metro because it tasted like an ashtray. So I'd, I'd go over to Happy Donut at 3rd and King, about a block away, or I would sprint over there. It was not a great neighborhood at the time. Empty parking lots, homeless encampments, old warehouses, very run-down part of the city, except for the driving range near the off-ramp. That was pretty cool. Another moment I'm thinking about in the early 90s, Bob Lurie wants to sell the Giants. At the final series at Candlestick at the end of the 92 season, looked like the Giants were leaving the Bay Area for Tampa St. Petersburg. Uh, Fans brought signs begging the Giants to stay. And there's a famous photo of a forlorn five-year-old boy leaning on the railing next to a sign reading, Mr. White, do what's right. Keep the Giants in San Francisco. And of course, the Giants stayed. That boy became the Giants' all-star shortstop, Brandon Crawford. That neighborhood in China Basin became transformed as the Giants opened what was then Pac Bell Park in 2000. The ballpark was a catalyst for tremendous development in that area. And I can tell you, 20 years later, that neighborhood is completely changed for the better, I think, but very busy now. Uh, That development would include uh, the Chase Center, by the way, a few blocks down where the Warriors will play starting next season. There's a common thread in those stories, and that's Peter McGowan. McGowan made a fortune as CEO and chairman of Safeway Grocery Stores, but then stepped in to lead the ownership group that uh, bought the Giants from Bob Lurie for $100 million and kept them in San Francisco. And Lurie had a deal in place to move the Giants to Florida. They could have been playing at Tropicana Field. Instead, they stayed and played at one of the most beautiful stadiums in baseball. They signed Barry Bonds, six years, $43 million, maybe the best free agent signing in baseball history. They hired Dusty Baker as manager. They went from 72 wins to 103 wins in 1993, but they lost the National League West to the Braves, a season that kind of justified use of the wild card right then then and there. Uh, The Giants had a rebirth. 
and the momentum to build support for what is uh, just a gem of a ballpark seven years later, Pac Bell, then AT&T, and now Oracle Park. Quite the opposite of the TROP, by the way. And privately financed. McGowan was probably cursed by other owners for doing so, but that project shows why it's now hard for owners in California to build stadiums, at least if they want to dump the cost on taxpayers. And I say to them, well, tough. McGowan's legacy was not perfect. Uh, He coddled Bonds, and and Bonds knew how much power he held, which led to lots of friction uh, in the organization, in the clubhouse, and with the media. The Mitchell Report uh, put McGowan in a bad light, and the Giants got the reputation as being one of the franchise's lax in the steroid era, while Bonds pursued home run records. Although I, I think Major League Baseball carries the bigger share of the blame. McGowan was moved out as managing general partner in 2008. So the last few years were on the ugly side. Not as ugly as, say, Charles Johnson's political donations, but still kind of ugly. But given the benefit of time, it's easy to see how positive McGowan's impact was to the team and to the city. The Giants are also known now for their community work and for their treatment of former players. And this uh, was brought home to me going to the Giants fantasy camp and seeing a lot of ex-players down there in Scottsdale. And that's the word they use time and again, family. They were treated like family. And that really started with Peter McGowan. Uh, They started the Forever Giants Alumni Association. The Giants became the first pro sports franchise to dedicate an annual game to combat AIDS and HIV until there's a cure day in 1994. I went to uh, one such game a few years later. Casey and the Sunshine Band played. But it really is a a remarkable event and a remarkable move by a baseball team to take that leap at that time. Former great players like Willie Mays and the late Willie McCovey were welcomed back into the organization. And McGowan established the Wall of Fame. It is only fitting that he, too, will soon be added to the wall. Peter McGowan died Sunday at the age of 76 after a battle with cancer. You know, it's not my style to lionize rich people. Not that I begrudge success, but it's what you do with that success. McGowan used his success as a platform to keep the Giants in San Francisco, make the team better, transform a neighborhood, and maybe for a few brief moments, transform a city during four World Series. And McGowan touched many lives that way with, it, with his vision. Willie Mays said, I've lost a great, great friend. He was like my godfather. No one can replace him. Brandon Crawford's mom, Lynn Crawford, tweeted, Sad to hear the passing of Peter McGowan, who had a hand in making my son's dream a reality. Uh, maybe McGowan's influence helped make life a little bit better for every Giants fan out there. Definitely made my experience in San Francisco much richer than I could have ever imagined. From the days of sprinting across the trash-filled empty parking lot at China Basin just to get some coffee and hoping I wouldn't get attacked, to sprinting from the press box to the bunker at a gleaming ballpark the next block over, doing post-game shows through three World Series championships for the Giants' flagship radio station. Peter McGowan, thanks for the memories. A guy who made some pretty good memories in the 1987 season at Candlestick, the Hackman, coming up on Triple's Alley Report. You may be familiar with the website awfulannouncing.com. They did a feature on Blue Wire. 
Not because we're awful. They actually feature both highs and lows in sports media. But they did it because, well, we're innovators. Here's a quote. While still in the early stages, Blue Wire has shown serious progress by building a national sports podcasting network tailored locally to each city. It's new, innovative, and different. Well, I'm proud to be on the ground floor for this, along with podcasts like Light Years on the Warriors and the Kevin Jones Podcast on the 49ers. So check it out. We're at bluewirepods.com. All right, we're chatting with Hackman, Jeffrey Leonard, who is a coach of one of the teams out here at Giants Fantasy Camp in Scottsdale Stadium. How'd you do today? Uh, we had a pretty good day. Uh, I think the score was uh, 16 to 5 or 6. You won. Yes, we won. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, get that straight. Yeah. That's a pretty good day. Yeah. Yes. You, you enjoy doing this? I love doing it. I really do. I mean, it's, it's one of the, my favorite weeks of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a family reunion type thing. Um, you see you know, all, all these good players and good fans mm-hmm. who love the game, who love the Giants. Uh, so, yeah, it's a, it's a fun time. I've talked with several players, Steve Klein, for example, guys who have played with several different teams in the major leagues, but they come back here. You know, they, they seem to have a connection with the Giants for whatever time they played here. And, of course, with you, you were MVP in the 87 L- NLCS, so it's a big memory for you. But, I mean, you played with a few different teams. Yeah, well, you know, I played with Milwaukee, Seattle, Houston, and L.A. So, yeah, no, it's not the same. It's not the same. Just... The giant art, it's just different. It's, it's special. It's, it's, I don't know. It's just different. It's, like, it's kind of like a family. Mm-hmm. That's the same word I heard uh, yeah. Steve Klein use as well. And you hear that, and, and people say, well, okay, that sounds like corporate speak, but it's, it's really true from what I – and, I, again, I hear from a lot of different players. And what he said is whether you're an all-star or you're, a, quote, unquote, a bottom feeder, they treat you the same. Yes, they do. And I – People who know me know that I'm not politically correct. I say what I want to say. <laughs> it's like a family. Mm-hmm. It, it, it truly is. I mean, they treat everybody good. I don't know if a lot of people know this, but uh, you went to the same high school as Wilt Chamberlain. Uh, not at the same time. No, but, <laughs> no, no. But uh, I think Walt Hazard also went to Overbrook in uh, Philadelphia. So they had quite a little tradition going there. And I, I don't know if you were actually uh, headed toward baseball first because you were playing other sports. Yes, I, I um, played basketball, football, ran track, all that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I kind of fell in love with football. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I always could play baseball, so um, it kind of worked out. Um, in that manner. But Wally Jones went there as well. Oh, right, right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's part of what uh, one time was the greatest NBA team ever. That 66-67 team with Wilt and Wally and, uh, let's see, there was Chet Walker. Uh, yeah. yeah Luke, Lucius Jackson. And, and, of course, Hal Greer. Hal Greer, yes. Yeah. Hal Greer, yep. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, growing up, that was the team you were rooting for, right? Oh, still. Always filled up your all the way, yeah. The 76ers, okay. man, all the way through Irving and Malone, all those guys. Mm-hmm. Great history. Uh, and then, of course, uh, the, the Warriors came from Philadelphia out to uh, the Bay Area. Do you have uh, did you root for them or you pay attention to them much? I'm not a Warrior fan. <laughs> oh, okay. See, see, okay, if it's Bay Area podcast, you're right, you're not politically correct. No, that's okay. That's okay. Respect, I, you know, I respect their, um, their talent and all that. Oh, it's a great organization, a great team. But you know how, how sports go. I, you know, I like the Sixers, you know, and all that. I love LeBron James, so it's kind of, mm-hmm. that's the way it is. Okay. All right. Well, we, we're going to see him a lot once he gets back from his injury. Um, 
I, I look at I look at uh, this this whole deal I had here in Scottsdale and and how they've got this nice stadium now and how spring training has grown over the years and I just bought a house down here and people are telling me well you better stay out of town when spring training comes because it gets crazy but uh, I, I think it's great I think it, you know it, it's kind of become a thing of it's an industry of its own I think it is too man because uh, we had my spring training was on this same field, but <laughs> before they, yeah. you know, a little it, different. Yeah. This nice, exactly. Yeah. I mean, you know, this this little town gets electric mm-hmm. during the spring training time. It's, it's a lot of fun, a lot of energy, a lot of you know, expectations, and just a lot of fun, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, what you up to now? You're still up in Rockland, up in Roseville area, Rockland, Roseville area. Um, I, I started Hackman Baseball, and I have a 13U team and an 18U team, so I'm having a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. I talked to another uh, NLCS MVP in Cody Ross, and it's just funny how those things happen. I mean, you get hot at the right time, and my God, you were hot at the right time in 87. I know the Giants didn't win it, but still, uh, the fact that, uh, you know, it, it's, it's a thing that can make a career. It's, things, it's something 34 years from now, they remember you. Yes, yes, you know. That was a special time, and you know, it, and yes, I did get hot at the right time because leading up to that series, I was in a serious slump, really? and Roger was thinking about not even starting me. <laughs> so yeah, it turned, you know it changed things around for me. What's it feel like when you're, you're in that zone? It feels great. Yeah, I'd I mean, imagine. I mean, I mean, the ball looks huge. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're having fun. You relax and so forth. But you know, the main thing is that you know I, I wish it could have rubbed off. And everybody felt the way I did at that time. Yeah. But um, it just feels wonderful. But we lost, so yeah. all that got wiped out. It's Yeah, I know it's kind of bittersweet. But at the same time, you look at back at your individual accomplishment, and you say, well, at least, <laughs> I mean, it sounds weird to say it, but at least I did my part. Well, <laughs> we all did our parts, man. I mean, like, you know, it's, it's the game of baseball. Yeah. You know, ups and downs. I mean, uh, the guy hit the 3-1 home run. I think he had one home run all year. Tom Lawless. No. Oh, not Tom Lawless. Uh, Oquindo. Oquindo. Jose Oquindo. Yeah, That's right. He hit the home run. I was like, oh, wow. So he hit one at the right time as well. Um, uh, you know, it's one of those things, but it was a hard-fought series. Uh, when you look back on your career, other than that, what, what were some high points for you? Um, I think uh, being an all-star in both leagues was, was, was pretty cool. Obviously, my first at-bat. Uh, was pretty cool as well, mm-hmm. but um, you know, I was at LA and, and uh, Houston before I came to San Francisco. It wasn't until I came to San Francisco that I really felt like a major league ball player. Mm-hmm. I, I was raised in San Francisco in that sense because you know the great history. I mean, tremendous history. So when you got here, it's like, oh wait a minute, everything was different. You have to get off. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but yes, that changed my life. That changed my career. That in that one trade. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and the, that that'll happen. You get in the right place at the right time. Mm-hmm. It works out for you. Um, you look at these folks who come out here, the fans who get a chance to sort of live their dream on the ball field here, and different abilities and so forth. But everybody seems to have a good time. And I mean, you're playing ball in January for crying out loud. <laughs> I know. For me, this this is this is wonderful because, l- like you said, there are so many di- different types and ages and old guys and young guys. And but my my thing is the fact that when you go into the clubhouse and if if you sit there, I love to watch the rookie campers when they walk in mm-hmm. and they see their names on that jersey mm-hmm. in their locker. It is 
priceless. It is absolutely priceless, man. I love that part about this camp. Yeah, yeah. Yes. No, it's, it's very cool. Well, leading up to spring training, the Giants, uh, you know, I don't know how closely you pay attention to them right now, but uh, I mean, they're kind of in a tough spot trying to come back from a couple of bad years. I mean, what do you think it's going to take for them to get back to where they want to be? Well, you know, obviously, you always want to build up your, um, you know, your farm system. Yeah. We have a lot of strong young men right now. So what it's going to take is <clears throat> if they don't, you know, make some blockbuster deals, it's time for those guys to step up. When you when you get your shot, you have to make some noise. That, mm-hmm. it, it, that's that's just the way it is. I'm tired of hearing about young kids and all this you know, rookies and all that. No, 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 no. If they can make it to the big leagues, it's time for you to shine right now. Mm-hmm. So we need the young bucks, the young giants, to do their thing. Yeah, I think I, I hear this phrase a lot when they're talking to young players. There's a reason you're here. Right. I mean, there's a reason we brought you up here and it hasn't necessarily happened with some of these young players the last few years. They haven't stepped up. So I think that's uh, among other things. Some of the pitchers have. Yes. But some of the position players have not. Yes. And, and, you know, and on top of that, we had injuries. Yeah. Luger, uh, Williamson, Mm -hmm. they got hurt when they got their shot. So I'm looking forward to this coming season. I want to see those young guys just go out there and do it. Because I remember a time back in the 80s when it was the young kids Will Clark, Robbie Thompson. You got to love those kids. <laughs> you got to love those kids, exactly. So uh, history can repeat itself. All right. Well, that would be great if it did in, in this case. How do you think the game has changed uh, since you were playing? Um, uh, it's changed. I, I, you know what? All the analytics is cool. You know, all the numbers, you know, numbers of power. I mean, uh, other than that, uh, you can't throw in as much. You know, you can't, you know, each team gets warnings and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that some of the feel of the game is being lost with all the numbers. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you have to have that information. So it's kind of a give and take yeah. thing. But um, I think uh, the players were more passionate about the game back then, you know, mm-hmm. in the old days. Yeah, yeah, I, I could see some of that. But I also see some incredibly talented athletes playing the game right now. And I mean, listen, back then, 60s, 70s, 80s, whenever, there were guys who could match up with the guys today, but I don't think there were as many. I mean, you know, there were savvy players back then, there were knowledgeable players, but you look across the board now, just the athletic talent is incredible. Uh, That's right to a certain extent. I mean, when when you start going back in time, you have to go back in dimensions of ball fields. The ball fields were way bigger, way larger than the fields are today. I'm not saying that in a negative way. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying if you have a down the line is 365 and you playing six years in that ballpark mm-hmm. and then you and the, these guys are playing with 305 and yeah. 290 and, and 320, that's a big difference. Yeah. It is. But, you know, Make no excuses, man. The game is still strong, and there's a lot of wonderful players out there. But there were a lot of wonderful players back in the day. Do you look at it now as a former player and saying, you know, you see the money they make now. Uh, you know, wish I had been around for that. Or do you say, good for them? You know, I, I kind of blazed the trail for them. I'm saying good for them. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, they had the, probably the strongest uh, association in the world. <laughs> so, I mean, uh, that's just the way it is. Everything progresses on. Would I would love to have gotten paid like that? Sure, but I I love the fun of the game. You see what I'm saying? I just wanted to play and uh, and get paid too. But yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, the money did not come come first for me. 
I, I think if you if you have to struggle a few years in the minor leagues to get here, the money can't come first, right? You know, no. yeah, you gotta. I tell the younger players that too. You must really love this game to get to the major league level because you got to go through a lot. Yeah, you have to have a, a tremendous love for it. Like I said, man, it, it, passion has to be flowing out of you. Eat, sleep the game, and the, you know. And the main point is like. You, you, you strive and you work so hard to get there, then somebody tells you you have to work harder to stay here. Mm -hmm. So now the whole game's on again. I love that part. Mm -hmm. Fall in love with the process. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's the, the, the process is what uh, they're trying to do with the 76ers, by the way. Yes. They're saying trust yes. the process, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah, Joel Embiid and, and company. <laughs> we'll see about that. When these guys are out there playing, do you have uh, the temptation to pick up the bat and get in the box? I do down the batting cages, you know, but uh, I, you know, I get my swings in, okay. but I'll, I'll I'll always have the itch, always. Yeah. If you get one out of the park, is it still one flap down? All the way around. <laughs> <laughs> All the way around. What 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 was the the genesis of that? Why'd you do that? Well, actually, it, it happened merely by accident, and nobody said a word uh, in 1986 is when I first did it. Mm -hmm. But it became famous in 87. But in 86, um, I was supposed to have an off day <laughs> against the Cubs and uh, Scott Sanderson. And Roger gave me an off day. So I'm not even playing you know, or, or starting. About the seventh inning, he uh, motions to me about the, you know, to pitch hit. Mm -hmm. So Jose Uribe's on base, Robbie Thompson's on base, and I catch a curveball, and I hit it out. So I'm jogging down the first base. And uh, our, our first base coach was Morales. He normally would give you a high five mm -hmm. as you get down there. But as, as, as I was jogging down the first, he was staying back over there. So I, I, I got closer to the bag, closer to the bag. And right at the last minute, my left foot hit the inside corner of the base, and he threw his hand up. And I went like, boom. So this, so this arm fell down. Oh. And I just kept jogging around the bases like that. No big deal. Next day, uh, Thad Bosley and Ryan Sandberg said, Hack, how's your arm? I go, I'm fine. I, I, I wasn't even thinking about it. It was a done deal. Mm. That's how it came. It, it did not start in 87. Mm -hmm. But but after that, you were thinking about it, or it's just, well, just going, natural? Going into, no, going into that spring training, we had a spring training game, and Kenny Malinalo asked, he says, Hack, do you remember that time you put your arm down and all that? I go, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I go, if I hit one today, I'll, you know, I'll do it. Mm -hmm. And I hit one. Mm -hmm. This is in spring training now. Mm -hmm. I went around with one flap down. That was for our team just to have a little laugh. Right, right, right. Al Rosen got all over me, man. <laughs> so about two weeks later, Chili asked me to do it again. Mm -hmm. So I, I happened to hit a home run. I did it. Again, it was, it was in fun for our team. Mm -hmm. And that was it. I didn't do it again until we clinched the um, putting it up in there in, um, in San Diego. Okay. When that when that happened, <laughs> I had put a little flavor on it, so I actually did it on purpose then. Okay. Well, you hit enough, or you hit in the right spots, <laughs> then Rosen can't say anything, right? Exactly. So <laughs> then, when the St. Louis series came, I I wasn't even thinking about it at first, and then um, I kind of got ticked off or something, and I didn't like where our fans were sitting, you know, and all that. And I just said, Wow, if I hit a home run today. 
I'm definitely going to do this thing. Mm -hmm. And yet, it misses history. Yeah, yeah, it got its own momentum. Well, it's great yeah. moments uh, in Giants history for sure. And uh, obviously, they've had some pretty good ones the last decade. And we'll see if they can start uh, building up again here in the next couple of years. And uh, it's great talking to you, Hack. Oh. And, uh, you know, good to see you down here. Great. I have a whole lot of fun, man. Thank you. All right. That's Jeffrey Leonard on yeah. Triple's Alley Report. By the way, one flap down gets into the nebulous territory of unwritten rules. During one of those NLCS home runs, Cardinals thought Leonard was Cadillacing around the bases, taking too much time, showing up the pitcher. Well, Cardinals pitcher Bob Forsch made Leonard pay for this apparent crime against humanity by hitting him in the back with a fastball in Game 3. St. Louis writers called Leonard both flaps down after that. Hardy har har, because people who haven't ever been hit by a baseball think it's funny for a player to risk injury. Yes, times have changed, I think, for the better. Anyway, thanks to Jeffrey Leonard, one of several former Giants coaching at last week's fantasy camp in Scottsdale. Everybody made it out alive, from what I understand, so good job. Here's the Giants' approach for 2019. It won't be on any advertising, but here it is. Make the best of the situation. Doesn't quite have the same ring as you gotta love those kids. Not exactly inspiring, but it's clear the way they're operating under new baseball operations chief Farhan Zaidi. Build up what is a strength, pitching, load up on arms, for example, Drew Pomerantz, who has just signed, put him in a pitcher-friendly park, try to be competitive with pitching and defense, try to keep games close, and hope, hope some key offensive contributors bounce back from surgery and or stay healthy. It's a lot of hoping, I understand that. But it's not a rebuild. It's a holding pattern until some top prospects mature. Maybe that's a couple of years down the road. So this is what you get in the meantime. Try to compete. Try to improve the roster one spot at a time. Hold on to your rabbit's foot. Zaidi's been patient, but it's amazing that two weeks before pitchers and catchers report, nearly 150 free agents are still out there. You know, players are under franchise control for several years, hoping for eventually that big contract. And they're not coming as often. Well, teams are rebuilding. Some of them are anyway. But other teams, like the Dodgers, are treating the luxury tax threshold like it's the third rail. Uh, Nationals reliever Sean Doodle noted that teams are making record profits, but players are seeing less. And before you roll your eyes, he did tweet, I understand it can be difficult to empathize with athletes who make millions to play a kid's game, but this is troubling and something to keep an eye out for in any industry. Uh, you can say, hey, teams are just operating under the rules of the CBA, and you'd be right. But just know that there is labor trouble looming in a couple of years if the atmosphere doesn't change. For now, executives like Zaidi can slow play it and maybe swoop in and get a couple of players and get some bargains. Meanwhile, there, there could be a, a new giant or two when spring training gets underway in Scottsdale in a couple of weeks. Right now, all young outfielders, and I, I can see the panic. I can hear the panic among Giants fans. Are we going to do Mac Williamson all over again, Austin Slater, along with Steven Duggar? Well, we'll see about that. Some of the bigger-name outfielders are off the board, such as Michael Brantley and A.J. Pollock. Since it's hard for players over 30 to get long-term deals, would it hurt to give someone like, uh, I don't know, Carlos Gonzalez a shot? Just a thought. And maybe we'll have an update on that next week on Triple's Alley Report.